Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. Keep it in mind, keep it in mind. You mustn't be afraid to dream of the bigger, darling. Just us. The call went out. We aren't the only ones to answer, you know. You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Because it's all part of the plan. Are you watching closely? Hello, I'm Ben Brantlinger. And I'm Robert Denfeld. We're your hosts for Must Go Faster. And this is the Chris Nolan Chronicles, Part 6. Welcome to the finale of the Chris Nolan Chronicles. That's right. We've uh, we've spent over 10 hours, I want to say, podcasting about the entire career of one of the century's most celebrated filmmakers, and it, it has brought yes. us to this part six, the last installment of the CNC. Finally? In this episode, we will finally dissect yes. Nolan's newest movie, Tenet, and contemplate on his long-term legacy and how he'll mm. ultimately be remembered for years and years to come. But first, Rob, there is some some topical news to discuss. Yeah, I, this whole certainly. series up into this point has been reflecting on the past you know, 20-year career of Nolan, and right. now we've been thrusted into <laughs> the presence, or inverted into the present. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You want to say that. Whatever you want to say. Um, there's a lot to recap and parse through here, but we want to talk about Christopher Nolan and his, you know, adoring relationship with movie theaters, mm-hmm. and it's just become um, a, quite a hot-button issue in, in the film industry. To say the in least. In December. Yes. There's been some shape-shifting industry <laughs> news. Yeah. But let's just start here. I'm not sure there's a single bigger ambassador of the movie theater-going experience than, you know, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. We've talked about this already but no one makes his movies with the pure intention of having it shown on the largest format possible which is the theatrical setting Mm -hmm. he values that theatrical experience more than anything which Mm. i think is also one of the things that we we like most about him sure and you know i've always respected how much he's fought to preserve the theater experience over the years and shooting on film yeah Exactly. And it's obviously, it's been a declining activity going to the movie theaters as much as you and I like to do it, you know, yeah. with just the rise of streaming services and right. the change of consumer behavior and people not leaving their homes in a year like 2020, but just increasingly. Yeah. Even for people like us who are strong advocates, mm-hmm. it's, you know, fewer times a year uh, that we're attending movies in the theater. Obviously, this year is a, an outlier and nobody's going to the theater. But yeah, yeah even before that. Um, it's starting to decline. We went to one movie, which, <laughs> yeah. we'll be, which we'll discuss on the spot later, which was Tenet. But exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you're a must-go-faster listener, you know how much you know we both love going to the movies. We'd probably see you right. know, at least like maybe 40 or 50 movies in theaters in any yeah. given year that's not 2020. But right. 
So in past years, Nolan has said, quote, the theatrical experience isn't just about the size of the screen or the technology behind it. It's about an audience, the shared experience. Right. Going on to say, like, what cinema gives you, unlike any other medium, is this fascinating and wonderful tension and dialogue between this intensely subjective experience you're having from the imagery the filmmaker has put up there and this extraordinarily empathetic sharing of that mm. with the audience around you. Mm -hmm. What's a movie? The only definition of a movie really is if it's shown in the movie theater. Wow. Which is, you know, he's, he's waxing poetic sure. about his, his love for theaters. And, <laughs> Some people might you know, roll their eyes pretty heavily sure. at that. Yeah. A little pretentious, but sure. I mean, I, you know, for the most part, I, I, I agree. And yeah. You know, Nolan is someone who's who's only interested in making feature films that will be shown in theaters. He's previously said that he has no plans ever to work for Netflix. He has mm. criticized Netflix distribu <laughs> distribution model as, quote, mindless because it would mm. skip the, the traditional three-month theatrical window, which he called, quote, ter a terrific model that should not be changed. <laughs> right. Now, mm. you know, there's definitely some, uh, you know, what the kids say, boomer energy happening here with some <laughs> right. of Nolan's stance. Like, he's from a different yeah. generation, and it, and it really shows sure. in this quote. Uh -huh. And I think Nolan will be, in the, the last few weeks, I've made this more clear than ever. Mm -hmm. Like, Nolan will be the last man standing when it comes to filmmakers yeah. putting their movies first I would say. on streaming yeah. instead of theaters. Like, it would only happen over like his cold dead body, <laughs> right. like really. Yeah, and, you know, and and elements of that are practical and you know logistical and considering profit margins and but also there's just a romanticized nature to his stance. I I feel and you know it is yeah, I grew up going to the movie. Yeah, you know, it is who he is and seeing Star Wars in 2001 in theaters. Yeah, it's why he's making films and why you know, any of this ever happened is, is what he wants to hold on to and pass on to the next generation of filmmakers, I imagine. Um, and, you know, I'm a strong advocate and, and always am promoting the theater experience. I feel, yeah, um, to like family and friends. And, you know, I, I definitely Whoever don't want, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> um, I definitely don't want theaters to die out in the way that it seems they they might uh, in the next few decades, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful and you know thankful for people like Christopher Nolan, um, you know, always advocating and pushing for the you know the shared experience, which we all love. Yeah, I mean, we don't all love it as much. I wish people loved it yeah, as much as which as I much love. As, you know, you and I and, and Nolan and you know some others love, but it definitely. His advocacy for the theater-going experience has certainly took on new meaning in the year 2020. Right. So let's go all the way back to March 20th, which was essentially like a week after COVID really started taking over yeah. our lives. And he wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post where he made you know, his case about the importance of the, the movie theater experience, mm -hmm. why we need to preserve and save it, just arguing that human beings you know, need it now more than ever. Which, yeah, at the time, totally felt admirable. Yeah. Uh, that was such a confusing point in all of our lives. Yeah. And it was kind of just in the background, like, okay, you know. You're, right. <laughs> it's great that you love theaters. Like, is the end of the world happening? Yeah. I don't know. It, it almost but, seemed like an irrelevant distraction point at, th at that point. But then it, it obviously became increasingly relevant and important. And, yeah, now we mm -hmm. are here. So his new film, Tenet, which we'll discuss next, was originally scheduled to be released on July 17th of 2020. Due to COVID, that release was postponed several times. 
Warner Brothers eventually decided to release Tenet internationally on August 26th before debuting it the following weekend in the U.S. wherever theaters were open. Mm -hmm. Nolan and Warner Brothers, they were criticized by this decision to release Tenet in theaters despite the growing concern of COVID throughout the world. Nolan's intention here was he he wanted Tenet to be the movie that kind of, quote, brought brought back movie theaters Mm -hmm. in, in the U.S., which is well-intentioned but sure naive to put it yeah. kind of simply a little self-aggrandizing perhaps sure and this also sidebar like these delays in tenets release totally threw a wrench in our plans to release this yes. podcast series <laughs> our initial yeah. plan to give you a little like peek behind the curtain for anyone that sure. cares our initial plan was to release each episode leading up to the weeks uh leading up to the original july 17th release date for right. Tenet, where everyone goes see it, sees it that opening weekend, and we're talking Hold about on, it. You're telling um, me you didn't anticipate a collapse of the movie theater system? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, unpredictable, to say the least. Trying to hit a moving target for yeah. releasing something like this, whether it's, you know, the movie itself or a podcast series about Nolan's career, it proved right. to be really difficult. And, yeah, you know, did. like everything else in 2020, COVID just ruined that plan. Like, you have a plan. You have a plan for anything this year. Yeah. Well, COVID's here to just just ruin it. Ruin yeah. your plan. Yeah. So, I think almost with any other filmmaker in the entire industry, with maybe the exception of, of Tarantino, maybe. I, I was going to say this, Tarantino, like, perhaps. Yeah. They would have compromised and decided to first release their new movie on demand in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in and a many way. many did, Yeah. Yeah, in, in a way, I admire that Nolan stuck to his guns and fought for mm-hmm. the theater release rather than succumbing to, you know, the on-demand. But as we saw with the underwhelming performance of Tenet, the decision had a hugely negative impact on the film's box office success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I don't think Nolan's intent was was malicious here. No. You no. know, I, I but you could argue that he kind of was turning a blind eye or just kind of being naive mm-hmm. or, you know, ignorant about just some of the horrific realities of this pandemic and people just having more yeah. their priorities in, in order and sure. you know, this not being that important. But I don't think, you know, he had any, you know, malicious intent. You know, no, this is a, a, no. just a, a polite British man who happens to make, you know, incredible cultural artifact yeah. films, you know. And, and, and he just, I mean, there are self, self-important self elements here and also the importance of the industry and maintaining, you know, this film is the highest budget ever for a Nolan film, two hundred five million, or you know, give or take. Um, it has made its money back worldwide, gross wise. It's at you know around three hundred sixty million in the worldwide box office, and you know around uh, fifty eight million in the U.S. box office. So it's not like it didn't make its money back globally, but you know, there's a level. It domestically, a, it didn't do very well. Yeah, twenty million uh, opening weekend. Yeah, as you said, it did perform overall well overseas in the international right. box office, but in the U.S. only made $58 million, which, just to compare that to some previous Nolan films... Yeah, it's tough. It's a massive drop-off. Interstellar made $188 million in the U.S., Inception yeah. made $292 million. The Dark Knight made $534 million domestic, yeah. which is, I mean, you know... It's hard to compare, but when you look but at considering Nolan's track the state record, of the theaters over the summer and and fall, fifty seven, yeah. fifty eight million is not bad. Like I'm actually a little bit surprised it's that much. You know, just 
based on New York and LA not being an option and so many people choosing not to leave their homes to, to go to the theater and sit in a dark room with strangers for three hours, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I, all of that being taken into consideration, it performed okay. In my opinion, when you consider all the insane circumstances up against it, yeah, you could definitely make that argument. And the biggest reason for the box office, you know, it's suffering in the box office. It's obvious it was COVID weary, COVID weary audiences were still overwhelmingly hesitant about returning to theaters and spending that time indoors, air conditioned, even if they're in a mask, you know, every second of, of the screening. Like, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to go sit inside a theater in, in 2020. Certainly. As you mentioned, didn't help that the two biggest theater markets in the country, you know, mm-hmm. where we, where we live, you know, New York and LA, res- right. LA area respectively. Uh-huh. Um, theaters have not opened at all, you know, since, since, you know, mid March when we locked down yeah. and, you know, in hindsight, I'm sure Warner brothers, they wish they would have delayed pushed Nolan to say, Hey, let's, let's release this next summer and summer mm-hmm. of 2021, like they did with every other tent pool. So here is where things get especially juicy. So Warner yeah. Brothers is probably anyone that's listening to this pod now or a little late on this news, but we're going to talk about it. They recently announced that they'd be releasing its entire theatrical slate in 20, uh, for 2021 onto the new streaming service HBO Max. This includes major event films like Dune, The Matrix 4, Uh in the heights and these movies they'll also be released in theaters but the game changer here is that they will also debut on hbo max streaming that same day there will be no gap at all between the release and streaming versus theaters basically Uh you know uh, disincentivizing anyone to go out and see these in theaters when they can instead just watch them at home on their couch which is something that people are more used to like Habits they were forming for years leading up to 2020, but Matt, right. and like this is like people have gotten so <laughs> it's been accelerated. To just, yeah, it has been quite accelerated. Now, yeah. this news and this decision from HBO Max or Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, given just how we kind of laid out Nolan's uh, just love for the movie theater experience and how he's fought for it. Yeah. This has stoked rage from Christopher Nolan, who is usually very reserved and yeah. polite and has a nice, you know, PR machine behind him. Like yeah. he is lashed out here and mm-hmm. he's been with Warner brothers, his entire career. Yeah. You know, we talked about the relationship back on, yeah, I think I believe it was part two of the Chris Nolan Chronicles. Yeah. And, um, you know, his first response to this news was quote, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed uh, the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I mean, calling HBO Max the worst streaming service it, it is the most ridiculous thing. He's to me, that's maybe he's yeah, false. It's not yeah. true. But HBO Max, maybe is, maybe in terms of the numbers they're getting, but I think it's a great service. <laughs> absolutely, for myself. yeah, yeah. They just added it to Roku. It's been delightful. Um, yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been streaming it. So shortly after making these initial comments, what I imagine happened is Nolan got a call from his publicist, kind of urging him to reposition some of these comments, mm-hmm. thinking they're just a little too dramatic, a little mm-hmm. too self-serving. Like no one wants to hear you whine about this, given just how terrible this year has been for so many people. Um, so he issued another statement, um, 
that was focused on how this decision was also hurting unions saying, you mm-hmm. know, I'm also talking about the grips and the electrician, electricians who you depend on, right. you know, IA Thousands and IA re- yeah. residuals for pensions and healthcare. I'm talking about SA, um, the Screen Actors Guild, uh-huh. which I think was a smart, you know, from a PR perspective move to add. He also right. said, it's a question of partnership and collaboration. Warner Brothers did not speak to myself or any other filmmakers before yeah. making this. They did not... Uh, consult them about what their plans were for their work. And I felt, Mullen said, uh, I felt that somebody needed to point out that this wasn't the right way to treat those fil- filmmakers. And that's kind of why he spoke out. Strange decision. Uh, very controversial here in Hollywood. I mean, you've got some of the top filmmakers in the world, some of the biggest stars kind of waking up to find out, you know, they thought they were making these big movies for the big screen. And now those movies are, you know, $2 billion worth of movies are going to be used as a loss leader for a fledgling streaming service it's a huge bait and switch they're all very upset about it there's you know it's it's kind of a mess but the good news is that our movie isn't part of the mess yeah it's it's from the studio that no one has been with for 20 years again yeah. Yeah, we talked about it in part two has a bridge been burned that's the big question i think yeah i mean potent yeah permanently perhaps uh that, that that segment we did in part two talking about just the love, you know, and bond between Nolan and I know. like that's that thing has aged like, you know, yeah. milk in the hot sun, know. you know, since then. So you have to repost with a take that part. Right, out. right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there is probably this sense of like, Nolan's like, how could you? You stabbed me in the back after right. all we've been through. You know, there's not to get dramatic, but there's yeah. probably some element of that. Oh, behind closed um, doors. He's just fucking pissed. You know, <laughs> let's be honest. So. You know, Nolan isn't the only notable filmmaker who has lashed out at this decision. For example, director uh, Denis Villeneuve, whose new film Dune will be released as part of this decision on mm-hmm. HBO Max. He's come out strongly against it, saying, you know, AT&T, which is Warner Brothers' parent, has hijacked one of the most respectable and important studios in film history. So, yeah. you know, echoing what, what Nolan has said a bit. Mm-hmm. Now... With these comments from Nolan, there is like a faction of film Twitter, for example, like that mm-hmm. just think he's being, you know, this rich delusional asshole that shouldn't complain in a year when so many have struggled worse and someone right. it's someone, you know, oh, he just can't accept the unavoidable future of movie releases. Mm-hmm. I, and yeah. I, I feel I'm like, hesitant to buy that. I, I don't know. I really hope not. Sure, sure, sure. The consensus is, and you kinda already touched on it, Rob, is that this move by Warner Brothers, it was basically inevitable but just the year covid uh 2020 with yeah. covid just accelerated it like right. this was going to happen with or without this year you know yeah. maybe it would have been probably within the decade yeah yeah right right actually probably within five years <laughs> you're right nolan has a counter to that though uh-huh. saying you know in 2019 was the biggest year ever for movies financially I that know. doesn't suit the narrative that yeah. the tech companies or the big corporations kind of want to put out there right now mm-hmm. you know it's important to note that Tenet, his his newest film, would have ended up on HBO Max if the studio decided to delay it to 2021 like it did with every other major property. I yeah. mean, if you think Nolan's pissed now, imagine if he was like, oh yeah, by oh. the way, that movie that we delayed in 2021, I saw that's going to be on a streaming same. service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, right. I'm so glad my film didn't get caught up in this, although it kind of did. And, you know, some people have said and looked into it as saying like, 
you know, the what happened to the domestic box office of Tenet was a big sort of precursor for this deal happening, you know, so it's almost like, would this have happened if Nolan hadn't forced Tenet to come out and, you know, really pressured Warner Brothers? That's the ultimate irony. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's pretty ironic. Yeah. The pressure that he, you know, applied to Warner Brothers, um, those disappointing box office results was the probably the single biggest catalyst for this decision. And so in a way, no one indirectly might have caused this to happen. Yeah. And listen, Ben, hold on. Let me just wax poetic for a moment. Wax it. I am forever, my entire life, I hope to go to movie theaters and sit in the dark for three hours and, you know, turn off my phone, completely eliminate distractions, not be able to hit pause, not be able to get up and go to the bathroom without sprinting. Um, There's something about the shared experience as Nolan touches on and the, you know, grandeur of the scale of the screen itself and the sound and the people next to you making noises. That's part of the charm. You know, Um, I am a strong advocate. I hope movie theaters come out on the other side of this okay and you know the next generation gets to experience what we experienced going to theaters as kids and seeing you know the biggest blockbusters you know the matrix one let's just say as the matrix four First comes night, out yeah next the year. buzz in the lobby before and after yeah the smells the better for worse i mean and yeah how about the just getting out of your house and doing something element of it and <laughs> sounds you know, great putting on actual jeans you know <laughs> like <laughs> Um, it's just, it's, there's not, there's nothing the same as going to a movie theater with a group of friends or just with your partner or by yourself. Even I love going by myself, um, and walking out and seeing the world a little bit differently when you walk out of a theater and you drive home, um, it, it feels way different than, oh, on Netflix, all of a sudden, like the great British breaking baking show just starts up two minutes you know like it, it takes right, over the right credits after, yeah like, you can watch the, the credits yeah, don't yeah. even freaking roll on streaming services it's sad so uh i'm just <laughs> i am also an advocate and yeah, yeah i just want to put my stance out there yeah and just the the sheer just size of the screen yeah. and you know the the lighting being so low and the sound and how just immersive it is i mean it is it yeah. is really just the optimal way and and then if you get into yeah a i mean we are in if it's you know, a 70 millimeter projection that's a whole different ball right game. the imax <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah totally we can go down this rabbit hole forever yeah you and i main point we 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 both love that that experience as well yes. and hope to return to it asap and look i can understand kind of both sides here, you know, from the studio perspective Mm -hmm. and from Nolan, you know, from Nolan, as we said, he's dedicated his entire career to making films specifically for the movie theater experience. And this decision by Warner brothers is like the biggest threat he's ever, you know, faced in regards to that. Yeah. So if you're Nolan or somebody like us who cherishes the theater experience, you doesn't want to see it go away. Like it's a very tough pill to swallow when you look at this decision and the trajectory that this is all on. Mm Mm-hmm. On the other hand, from the studio perspective, to quote Michael Corleone, mm. it's not personal, it's strictly business. Sure. And like, I think Warner Brothers, they saw the writing on the wall with just streaming and consumer behavior. Yeah. They took on massive financial losses this year, not just from Tenet, but having to delay every other major release. Mm. And they just made a business decision. Now, mm. there's been a lot of rumors swirling that like, Warner Brother ends up losing Nolan. He never makes another movie with them again. I yeah. mean, it seems like that's more likely to happen than not. I mean, I wouldn't 
be stunned if they, sure. you know, make up and, you know, he's been yeah. with the studio for 20 years. They've treated him really well. They've made a lot of money together. Yeah. And, and yeah. I did say earlier, was there a bridge burned? But also I said he's very considered in everything he says. And maybe he, you know, released these public statements very conscious. I mean, he very consciously did release them and, and wanted people to know how he felt and thought about what he was going to say I think there was more emotion perhaps involved than typically with Nolan with the statements, but you know, there's, there's a purpose behind it and a, you know, he's always looking toward the next project and toward the future. So I, I think it's no different here and we'll just see what happens with their relationship. Yeah. I think there's a possibly going to be a new studio that steps in and offers Nolan uh, and Thomas their next project, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, never, nevertheless, it'll be fascinating to see how it all plays out. Yeah. For better or for worse, it's made Christopher Nolan, in terms of being like the voice for the future of movies, mm. he's never been more relevant than he's been before. And this True. is a guy, you know, who's, his movies have been just a huge part of our culture the last 20 years. But now, like, as a voice, I mean, Nolan is yeah. at the center of all of this. And I, I don't know. really see that changing anytime soon. So, having said that, Rob, it's time to get inverted. Let's go into tennis. tennis. Last time it was no tennis. One of these bullets is like us. Traveling forwards through time. The other one's going backwards. Can you tell which is which? How about now? All right. I'm already inverted. <laughs> right, right. I'm moving both forward and backward yeah. in this kaleidoscope time yeah. dimension. Of, I just yeah, stood I, up <laughs> in my chair. <laughs> right. So Tenet tells the story of the protagonist played by John David Washington as he, this is according to IMDb, journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time sure as you mentioned <laughs> that covers it sounds good <laughs> the production budget 205 million nolan's most expensive original film to date and uh -huh. there's a line in tenant that i think and you know other people have have mentioned this kind of sums up the experience of watching it mm. and that is don't try to understand it feel it yes even for Nolan's standards, and we've talked about all his films up until this point, how convoluted they can be get. Tenet, the, the plot of Tenet is just truly just confusing as hell. Spellbound. Now, i only seen it once. <laughs> yeah. Rob, you recently, you did a rewatch. Yes. But this is one of the trade-offs about Nolan movies, though. Like, if you're going to have an extremely complicated story to follow, there needs to be, you know, much more to offer the audience. And yeah. here... Nolan, first and foremost, gives you action spectacle at a level that perhaps he's never achieved before. Yeah. I mean, it's it's action spectacle at its biggest. Yes. Working title, by the way, working title for this film, Merry-Go-Round. Very appropriate because that's what yep. my brain is doing as I watch it. <laughs> yeah. When I was watching it for the first time, I, I didn't try to attempt to fully comprehend what was happening. I no. instead just kind of like let it all just wash over me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think before specifically getting into the film itself, let's just take a step back and like the expectation game here mm. where, you know, there's all these insane circumstances of a global pandemic. Tenet, you know, was supposed to be released right in the middle of the year, mm -hmm. late July. 
expectations for this movie were kind of all screwed up because mm-hmm. it had this whole like this will be the movie to save Hollywood from the yeah. pandemic. No, no movie it, deserves or should take on that burden. Sure. No. I mean, how many films could ever like possibly live up to that? And, yeah. you know, in a financial sense, but also in this source of entertainment where like we can all collectively escape right. to the new Nolan adventure. Sure. And like there was this expectation that this was going to be like the second coming of like Star Wars. Yeah. A mass phenomenon that catapults the monoculture back to movies, uh-huh. even when up against the deadly virus that we've never seen before. And, sure. you know, Nolan has earned that reputation over the years where that wasn't that outlandish of a prediction. Like right. I was kind of buying into it like in May and June. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is going <laughs> to, now you know, I'm like exhausted the, by it. <laughs> just hearing right, you talk right, about right, it. Right. But back then I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe it will save movie theaters. But you know, I will say like those, um, those types of predictions, you know, didn't happen uh, for re- reasons both because of the raging pandemic that rightly made people hesitant about returning to a movie theater, and that also the movie itself, which is certainly quite good, and you know, Rob, you're really high on it. I, I, I really liked it in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. I wouldn't say it's you know a game changing masterwork that no. people maybe hoped it would be, but. To fairly judge Tenet, though, you need to detach like those unique expectations from the movie itself. Yeah, like it shouldn't right. warp your assessment of Tenet as a standalone film. Exactly. This movie feels a little bit different than any Nolan film, and I've you know we've heard people talk about this, and there's been a lot of writing about it. It's not so self serious. Um, mm-hmm. It's just having fun, and you know some things. There's a are, levity to it. Yeah, it there's a levity. There's more passed. comedy in this film than typically in Nolan films. There, there's a sort of exploration in the script. Obviously, for the nature of what's happening, and you know the the physics of the script, but also not everything is sort of placed in a certain category where you have to like un unravel the. The story, I think it's, as you said, just don't try to understand it, just feel it. I think there's more to that than, you know, even the script lets on. It's like, don't try to, don't try to solve it. It's not really solvable. It's just, just watch it. And how did it make you feel? Did you enjoy the action sequences? Okay, then it was effective. It's not... It's not meant to be like have a deep, much of a deeper, yeah, a historical document to be studied, (laughs) yeah, than Inception or something like Interstellar, where I think that was more of Nolan's intentions. This is like I've got a massive budget, some great movie stars, yeah, in some killer set pieces, yeah. Let me freaking cook. Well, and also (laughs) (laughs) their team, their production team has been doing this together now for you know. 11 if you consider all of their films 11 films um they've built upon these practical effects and there's a good featurette on the i purchased the itunes um is it, are we in bonus uh blu-ray feature, yeah we're in uh, bonus corner. features featured extra feature called tenet from there to here um and it just mm-hmm. it covers how basically this team has built upon their career and learned from each experience and they've been able to just push the limits and realize new ways of doing things. And it all sort of comes to fruition with Tenet and they couldn't have made this film 10 years ago, according to Emma Thomas. Um, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. It builds upon yeah, what they've everything done before they've done before. Learned. Yeah. Right. Right. So we talked a lot about in the, you know, the opening first 30 minutes of this pod about the movie theater experience, how mm-hmm. much we love it. 
crazy circumstances of this year. So while Tenet is out, it's out on demand now so people can enjoy it from their homes, which is yeah. great. But Rob, you and I both managed to see this in a theater a few months ago. We did. We talked, we've talked a lot about on the Chris Nolan Chronicles about that experience of seeing his films opening weekend, the mm-hmm. packed theater full of buzz mm-hmm. in IMAX. <laughs> well, with Tenet, things were different to say the least. Yeah. Now, Due to COVID, all movie theaters in New York City, where I live, have been closed since March. Mm-hmm. Rob, you're in the greater LA area. All the theaters have been closed there. Yep. I found a workaround. Look, I am <laughs> my my wife, who's now my wife, it's the last pod that we Ooh. did, we, we, Becky and I got married. Uh-huh. She's been on the front lines of COVID. It's We live in, in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. We take this extremely seriously. We, you know, we wear yes. a mask every time we go out. I wanted to go see this thing in theaters with a mask on, mm-hmm. distant, not take it off a second. So I decided that the nearest theater to me was in Jersey City at mm. a, an AMC in a mall in Jersey City. Nice. The, the nearest open theater I could find on a Sunday afternoon in October. Mm-hmm. Took an Uber from, from Park Slope, Brooklyn, where I live. Wow. Only about a 20-minute ride. Huh. And How was your experience? Yeah, so I, I Rob, and you had a very unique theater going experience. I want to hear about yours just a little bit more. How crowded was it? So, well, let's count all the ways that this was so different from a standard Nolan event movie experience. One, okay, there are about 10 people in the theater versus, you know, your typical sellout for one of his films. Like 100 plus. Everyone was, of course, in mass the entire time. Mm -hmm. I didn't take mine off for, you know, a second. I wear glasses, so I had the little, Mm -hmm. you know, the tape so the glasses weren't fogging up. You sure. know what I'm talking about, Rob? Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, <laughs> windshield wipers. Three layers things. of tape to make sure I didn't have to readjust that at all. Yeah. I saw this, it was about like six weeks after it opened in the U.S. versus okay. like opening weekend. So right. I, you know, I was hesitant at first and then, you know, I was like, all right, it doesn't seem like this virus is being spread like in a movie theater. I've yeah. been in cases for it. I think it's okay. I'm, I'm going by myself. Yeah. I think it, it felt safe enough. Like, okay, if I do this and I'm in a mask the entire time and I'm sure. not near, near anyone. And when I got my tickets, they would block off like the five seats to your right and your left. Like yeah. you would just, you're buying one ticket was essentially buying like 10 seats. Right. And that, and that made me feel, you know, more Better. comfortable about yeah. doing it. One aspect I will say though, Rob remained, completely the same like it's any hmm. other year hmm. still 25 minutes of straight trailer nonsense <laughs> really? before it started yeah you know and, and they're all like they're usually bad trail look i love movie trailers as much as anyone but sure. you know for a blockbuster they're showing a bunch of crap and yeah. again nothing is out so it's like all these yeah, bad yeah. movies and I'll, i was like <laughs> yep they're still gonna give you feed you you know those yeah. 25 minutes of, of trailers yeah. but anyway <laughs> funny. i got into the theater pulled by it was one of the, the recliner seats mm. And it was like no time had passed since March. You know, I was yeah. like, let's let's freaking do I'm this in. thing. Right. Despite all these differences, <laughs> after seven and a half months of watching movies on a TV screen or a laptop or mm-hmm. a phone, like this was cathartic and euphoric. Yeah. Finally seeing this in theaters. It could have colored my overall perception of the movie, but sure. like I walked out of there feeling like it was an achievement that I that I, yeah. I you know did this and felt yeah. and felt safe and really, you know, enjoyed the hell out of my time. Yeah. There. And, and you're going to remember that experience. There's something to be said for that. You, you will remember that you saw a tenant during COVID-19 era and right. I will too. Fully masked. I want to make it clear. Yeah. We're Rob and I are, are not the reckless oh, at all. Like you said, yeah. we were, we were, you know, and, and I, it, while there were other people in the theater, they were, you know, at least, uh, you know, 10 feet away from yeah. me, I would say, but you did your part. Rob, you had a pretty, 
unique experience on your end. Yeah. Different than mine, but yeah. still a quote theater going experience. Sure. What, uh, tell me about it. <laughs> well, it was a open air theater. Um, <laughs> so the weekend, I guess we saw it on September 17th, um, mm. at the mission Tiki drive-in theater in Montclair, California. Um, it's about 45 minutes from our place in Long Beach. So I went with Natalie, my partner, and and Chili Pepper, our dog, was sitting in the back seat. So yeah, it was my actually the first time since I was a kid, and I can't even remember the movie that we saw when I went to a drive-in as a kid. But it was the first time I'd ever really, as a conscious adult, seen you know taken myself to a drive-in theater and paid for it. You know. Um, so that was a new experience for me. The The sound plays through the AM radio in your car speakers. Um, right. We got That's there. That's a difference, yeah. Rather than this like booming IMAX right. Dolby surround, it's like a little <laughs> yeah. AM radio like yeah. with the propulsive Nolan but score. But I mean, like, I, I will say the sound quality, I'm sure it's different at every drive-in, but the Mission Tiki, the way that they broadcast it, whatever frequency, it was coming in hot and it was booming. Mm in my nice. my car speakers. I actually thought that was one of the better parts of the experience was like, oh, the audio the audio is pretty awesome. Like it's on my, you know, wow. pretty high quality car speakers and it was sounding good. Um, you know, the sound mix How close were you? That's another story, but <laughs> what row what row were you? Yeah. In? Did you I get mean, up I would say early? it's hard to say like the distance. I would say I was probably like 40 feet from the screen. Let's say mm-hmm. I was like 3 car rows back, but we got a dead center spot. And the way that they align the spots here, I did a, you know, I, I strategically pulled in and kind of like, you know, made sure that there were you no, like double parked. To make sure <laughs> I mean, no, I didn't. But I, I made sure that we were right in the middle of two other cars in the row in front of us. So we had no obstructions to our view. Like it was a pretty solid view. And I had, you know, washed my windshield at a gas station on the way to the theater to make sure it was like nice mm. and clean and HD. You know, at this point in September, we hadn't been doing much. Um, so we were excited for yeah, the night out on the town. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So we made like a cooler full of drinks and food and brought all these snacks with us. Chili. We kind of like snuck chili in because we didn't want to leave her at home. And, you know, the it said no Your dogs. dogs not, not like a bull. You know, yeah. No, a, chili pepper, our, our chili. puppy. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, the person just sort of like pointed at us on the way in like, oh, I see your dog, I guess. We're going to allow it. It was cool. Um, mm. Yeah. So the experience, the 8.30 show, I think ours was the 7.30 show. So the 8.30 show started playing on a screen behind us. So out of the corner of my eye. So it's like there's one screen facing this direction. Everyone sits in their car facing that direction. And then there's another screen behind you and the other the other row of cars are are facing the other direction so you can i was looking in my rear view mirror at times you know just sort of glancing and you can see the movie playing at an earlier point behind you in a rear view mirror like that's some meta shit right there for this oh, film yeah, yeah, it's like i'm say. seeing the film twice in my rear view mirror it's a it was a, an experience um i wrote i wrote some notes about just what i was feeling when <laughs> i got home Yeah, because I was like, I'm going to forget. We're not going to do this pod for a while. I'm going to forget how I felt. Um, So it's not so much suspending your disbelief with this story as much as it's suspending your search for coherence. It's like, don't try. Don't try to make it make sense and just Mm. just watch it. 
you know, and that's that's something that I was a new sort of feeling suspending your search for coherence. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience for me. Um, yeah, the sound mix actually kind of works for me. Uh, you don't really give a fuck who like <laughs> who's telling you this like nitty gritty line by line details of the plot. That's not the point of the story. Um, it's not the mission going in to understand this film or like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the finest details of it. Uh, I don't think you'll enjoy it if you try to like break it down and, and understand yeah. or at it, least on the first watch or two, I, yeah. you know, you'll drive yourself crazy uh-huh. being like, wait, I missed that line of dialogue and now nothing makes sense. It's yeah. like, it, you don't need it in order to, to really fully in- enjoy the spectacle of it. Hey, you never did tell me who recruited you, Neil. How many guess by now? You did, only not when you thought. You have a future in the past. Years ago for me, years from now for you. You've known me for years. For me, I think this is the end of a beautiful friendship. But for me, it's just the beginning. Let me get up to some stuff. You're gonna love it. John David Washington, plays the lead role as the the protagonist yes. is his character name. It's his first big lead role coming off of Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely proves himself to be just a really solid action star yeah. in Tenet. In a way, this is like the closest we've ever seen like a black person play like James Bond because mm. this is definitely Nolan, you know, grew up a huge Bond fan, is the film that that's closest to kind of, you know, the tropes and, and style of a, of a James Bond film. Sure. And, you know, it's it's awesome to see, yeah. you know, John David Washington in this role. No he doubt. takes advantage of his athletic ability. He's a former running back. He played college football. He actually yeah. signed with the Rams as an undrafted free agent in 2006. Uh-huh. And, yeah, he definitely just uses that to his full advantage. Yeah, there's a lot and, of physicality to the performance for sure. And yeah, he has a bit more personality and charisma. Yeah, than, super charming. Or, you know, past leading men in Nolan movies, like there's a there's kind of a a looseness to it, a mm-hmm. liveliness, more winking self awareness that right. and that, that is new and notable for like Nolan characters. Yeah, um, something he hasn't really done before. Yeah, almost it's almost felt like breaking the fourth wall a little bit, like very mm-hmm. self conscious and. You know, I've heard some people talk about how this is like an homage to the Nolan verse and like, you know, sort of pointing to other works that he's done. I, I don't really care to look at it that way. And it could be a yeah, part of this shared universe. I've heard yeah. that theory. If you want to go down that, that path. <laughs> yeah. Robert Pattinson continues to make really interesting career choices mm. post Twilight. And yeah, he he's really good in this. You could tell he just had a lot of lot of fun with this part. Yeah. Um Elizabeth Debicki as the female lead, mm. you know, she's given Amazing. I think this character is written in a way that she has more to do than you know, your typical female character in a Nolan film. There's mm. a bit more of an emotional depth and arc with her. She is an extremely tall person. Yeah, uh, she's six, six foot, foot three. three. Uh-huh. I read that they wanted to really like enforce this linear quality that she had through hmm. like different costuming decisions. Uh-huh. Like she towered, like they put her in like heels and like these long dresses to yeah. really, you know, she's tall to begin with, but they really wanted to make it like yeah. stand out. That scene when she walks through the kitchen right before the fight sequence in the kitchen, she mm. looks so tall. It's, she's towering <laughs> over everybody. Yeah. I'm like, wow, she's like seven feet tall. Yeah. Also, just shout out to uh, 
to Widows. Yeah. Where I, the well, movie I first saw her in, Steve McQueen's Widows, so right. underrated, was one of my favorite films of that year. So good. I um, actually heard Emma Thomas say that she saw mm. uh, Elizabeth Debicki in Widows and told Christopher that uh, he had to look at her for this part. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely uh, they sort of discovered her because of that role. Kenneth Branagh, uh, who was in, in Dunkirk, mm-hmm. he's playing the villain. A little bit different performance here. here. Yeah, yeah, right, for sure. Um, actor Jeremy uh, Theobald, actually, to bring it this full circle, yeah. appears briefly in the restaurant scene with, with Michael Caine. So Michael Caine, Michael Caine. Huh. Uh, he previously had a starring role in Nolan's Following, yes. his very first feature that we talked all the way back in part one. So yeah. he is the young you man. Know, 20 plus years later mm-hmm. is in uh you know is in tenet all right let's let's hit on some just like notable sequences in sure. tenet because like we said this really is like five or six spectacle Action set sequences yeah, yeah that you know is really kind of think the best way to think about just the experience of watching this so yeah there's the the opening sequence. Yeah. Um, this type of prologue is is in a similar fashion to ones that Nolan has done with you know the Dark Knight, like mm-hmm. the bank heist scene, the opening scene in Inception. Although, <laughs> I don't, I still don't understand when this sequence takes place in terms of the story oh, and, arc. And I don't like a line at all when he the yeah. audio, the sound mixing, like with the mask, yeah, and everything, and the way he's talking, like I, I. I I was rewatching this scene on YouTube and I uh-huh. still like could not fully make it out. Man, such a propulsive times. score off the very jump. Like, oh yeah, we'll talk about Ludwig Göransson's work yeah. on this film. Amazing score, and it really just starts off hot. And you know, the camera is sweeping. The very first like five to ten shots of this film are moving. You know, uh, push-ins or just handheld movements. Actually, they're they're on. Uh, you know, dolly track or a steady cam, they're moving very smoothly, but it's just constant motion in and out yeah. and back and forth, which obviously plays into the, the story. Right. Ben, we live in a twilight world and there are no friends at dusk. We live in a twilight world. We live in a twilight world. And there are no friends at dusk. You've been made. The siege is a blind for them to vanish you. Yeah, I love how this scene you're thrusted right in no credits it starts with the sound of the orchestra like tuning mm. their instruments all right, together right, right. it creates this this sense of unease but it's done you know naturally and yeah. then like boom gunshot screaming boot through a cello yeah you know like and you know and just we're off we're off yeah. and it's it's just really you know just propulsive mm. six minute opening The dialogue makes it, yeah, it's funny that you said that, you know, at the drive-in theater with the little AM radio is coming through crystal clear. Maybe that's like the hack. It's like you need <laughs> right, to hear it through right. AM, you know, yeah. radio because in the theater, like, yeah. I, no, I just the feel mix like that is, is still tough, though. Even though on the okay, AM, yeah. it sounded good. But yeah, the mix yeah. in this scene especially. But I don't, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, I don't think you, it really matters to hear all of those little words and in the masked voices, you know, it, you don't need to hear what's being said. Although the subtitles help. Sure, sure. Uh, the kitchen fight scene with yeah. the protagonist. So good. One of the most impressive, like, hand-to-hand combat scenes of Nolan's career. Yeah. Highly effective use of the cheese grater as a weapon. <laughs> oh Don't think I've God. seen, like, death by cheese grater in a yeah. film before. 
if you get pummeled in the face with a cheese grater, like you've had a bad day. Well, there was like maybe one, like one dude got some serious like chunks taken out of his cheek before the death. Right. So yeah, yeah. Cheese graters they grade cheese and face. Apparently. Face. <laughs> um, and this is like no, like Tenet pound for pound probably has the most on-screen action of any sure of any Nolan film to date, which yeah. is saying something. Yeah. The Freeport. 747 plane crashing sequence yeah. this is the one that just had me like cackling in my yeah. recliner you just it's being wild. like nolan you crazy you son know, of a bitch mother effort. <laughs> yeah uh yeah you did it again uh just the way this sequence is staged and built up just the level of craftsmanship mm. on display is stunning of course a also, real 747. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I just wanted to make sure you mentioned the, the sort of walkthrough that Robert Pattinson's Neil character goes through. I also love that sequence um, almost mm. as much as the action part. It was just like very mm. immaculate. so dramatic. Or yeah, right, or, yeah, 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 yeah. It was fun. Was a, that's a good bit. Real 747 was used. If you've been listening to the Chris Nolan Chronicle, you, you know how much he loves going practical over CGI mm. at any chance that he can. Mm-hmm. This was no exception. The production team purchased and then crashed that 747 into a hangar. Yeah. Uh, Nolan, he originally planned to use miniatures and set piece builds. However, while scouting for locations, Mm -hmm. the team discovered a massive array of old planes. It became apparent (laughs) that it would actually be more efficient to buy a real plane of the real size and perform the sequence for real in camera. It shows you how complex this was to pull off when the more efficient option <laughs> right, was right. to buy a real 747 and then crash it. Into the hangar, um, you know? Not yeah, just yeah. the Into plane the itself, but it's just I think they sort of built out this skeleton hangar, so there wasn't mm-hmm. much to it and they kinda, right. you know, had a remote controlled break, you know, so they could kinda stop it before it really would have naturally stopped. But yeah, I mean yeah. all you know, not to take anything away from it, they cre- they crashed a freaking 747 into a building. <laughs> that sequence leads into a killer fight scene in reverse. That's yeah. kind of unlike anything I've ever seen in a yeah. movie. Like Matrix, which I, a movie you, you mentioned earlier, like mm-hmm. maybe the closest, like I, I've really never seen anything like it. I don't know how Nolan did it. Every single on-screen element is in reverse. Yeah. The combat... The, sh- the shouting dialogue, yeah. the score. It feels like you're in this like well, dream it's a mix. Limbo. It's a mix of reverse and forward. It's just jarring yeah. to hear and see. And uh-huh. this movie, like, it really makes the most out of like tight enclosed spaces sure. and like hallways like it's very economical uh-huh. in the space they use kind of like claustrophobic which mm. i think is um a nice kind of like chain you know uh where you look at you know his film before this dunkirk very like wide mm. vast lo- you know open spaces this one has like it really makes a lot of use out of just yeah, like hallways and right. you know things of that nature right um the reverse bungee jumping sequence yeah. is really cool. That was the moment that opens like in the first teaser trailer that premiered, yeah. I guess, like in 2019 or uh-huh. whatever that that dropped. That Just building the angles, in Mumbai, India. Yeah, yeah, they shoot it at the the car chase in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the really cool things about the scene that I recall is you see early clues of the inverted nature, like the bullet hole in the car window. Mm-hmm. It's like this subtle foreshadowing that something. It's already happened, but you have yet to see how it'll happen. Right. In this sequence, it's it's split into two 
phases where the first phase of the sequence is solid, but it's more of like an appetizer. It's like when they mm. come back around and Cat is is being held hostage in the car, that's when this car chase really goes up a gear and becomes just like sensational action. Yeah. Um, I read that, yeah, shooting this car chase sequence lasted three weeks, required mm-hmm. uh, the crew to close off almost five miles of a six-lane highway. Um, in Estonia. Shot, yeah, Tallinn, mm, the capital the, city of Estonia. Yeah, shot the cars moving both forward and reverse. You know, when I was taking, uh, you know, a lift back to my apartment after seeing this, like the roads and cars like felt strange. Like, I, yeah. I you know, after watching this inverted <laughs> car sequence. Might be scary. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was just, you know, buckled tightly and I was sure. like, all right, we'll, we'll make it. <laughs> so, and then the climax sequence, the, the cross cutting, you know, which has been a staple of Nolan, just, uh-huh. and also a classic Nolan twist ending that, again, makes you rethink the entire movie now that you know the twist. And, you know, Nolan started doing endings like this at the very beginning of his career with Memento, and mm-hmm. he has continued that 20 years later yeah. as seen. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought up Memento, because I feel like if this film was a, you know, not a sequel, but a, you know, sister film to any of Nolan's films, it's, it's certainly Memento to me and a, a callback to... Yeah, just some of those same technical, uh, you know, structural play time that he's going through. and uh, Yeah, with, with narrative. I mean, it's definitely, this and Memento are his most confusing films, I would yeah. say. You know, and yeah. you can make a case for, I mean, all his movies are confusing to an extent. but And I did hear Nolan say that he initially, the, the sort of uh, birth of this idea, this concept came from just the idea of a bullet leaving a wall, like coming out of a wall back mm, into the gun. The and that was sort of like the image in his head. And it's like, what, what can happen around that idea? And, and it, you know, came to him 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. So yeah, it's been in the works in his mind for quite some time. I want to spend just a few more minutes on this, just inverted aspect of this movie, because I feel like it yeah. is the key ingredient that makes Tenet feel fresh, hmm. a fresh entry in Nolan's filmography. Like sure. I saw in a, you know, a behind the scenes feature at Nolan said, every film you're trying to bring something new to the audience. Mm-hmm. Well, in Tenet, this is, this is what's new is like this hmm. total inverted way to shoot action, which is just super thrilling to watch. And yeah. I feel like it's kind of the next evolution from, you know, those sequences that he did in Inception with like, you know, the zero gravity fights. And yeah, yeah. They talked about that a lot and how, you know, they used different techniques to show this forward and backward motion on screen at the same time. And they did the same thing they said with uh, the zero gravity and Inception and Interstellar, where they they mixed a bunch of different uh, visual techniques so that the audience's eye doesn't sort of catch on to the trick. And you're you're still searching for the how did they do that? because it's mm. done differently at different points throughout the movie they don't they don't stick to one visual effect or visual trick uh practical you know mm. wire so it or whatever feels yeah so it feels like you can never sort of catch on to what they're doing to make this mm. work they're using different techniques um i think that's really smart and pretty uh you know pretty unique to i think a nolan production yeah i mean look just to take a step back like what i love most about film is just like auteur directors sure um just the director who paints every aspect of their films in their own unique style 
ones who have a very specific vision that comes straight from their brain and they stop at nothing to ensure that vision is executed exactly the way it appears in their mind. And people that work with the best collaborators and build a team because no film is made from one auteur's sort of singular vision. Obviously, you know that, but... I think has he, over the years Nolan has built this team and there are some new members of that team for this film but that just have that sort of control and level of experience and knowledge base to to be able to pull off mm-hmm. a lot of these things. Yeah, I mean don't, Nolan does it here in Tenet. He's done it in all of his past films. It's really just kind of a summation of everything we've talked about in this series. Like yeah. all the trademarks of Nolan are on display here and yes. it just ultimately ladders up to him being that a tour director and you know look some people roll their eyes at a tour theory sure i i love it i i love you know ever since you know we learned about that that term in, in you know film class in college like yeah. I, I i just i just love it uh-huh. um it's the, mo- the it's the ultimate nolan film as you said it's the most complex manipulation of time and that's sort of where everything well you did say inception was the ultimate nolan film back in part four so are you are you updating that to say that was, Tenet? <laughs> that was before i had seen Tenet. <laughs> before I saw Tenet. this is yeah, taking yeah. the manipulation of time to a whole yeah i mean it's a different sort of more practical mm-hmm. physical physics based although you know our boy kip thorne who you know was the advisor on interstellar is was an advisor on this project and Uh, you know, did sort of do some scientific uh, covering of the bases with Nolan throughout Mm. this script process. But it's, although it's very science forward, Nolan says, it's not scientifically accurate, um, but it's based roughly on real science. So yeah, I mean, there are, there's the word physics is said multiple times in the film. There's a lot of talk of entropy and inversion. And, you know, uh, that's certainly an element to the story. And Again, I'm not going to really dive into trying to understand that. I don't really care to. And um, anyway, yeah. we're not physicists. It's an element. <laughs> Time travel. No. Technology that can invert an object's entropy. I was just thinking with just these inversion sequences, just how much rehearsal it would take to do. Yeah. These sequences, just the sheer like difficulty in forming that kind of like muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very evident in like, you know, performing these stunts backwards. Um, the main cast actually learned how to speak in reverse for their roles. I know. I read. And just to choreograph these reverse fight sequences is incredibly impressive. Yeah. And, you know, another cool like tidbit that I read afterwards is, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the film, the color red is be- is used to indicate time going forward. Mm-hmm. Blue is used to indicate a time inversion. Yeah. Um, you know, this is in reference to the Doppler effect, which, you know, I'll spare the the explanation of that. Sure. You guys can look up the Doppler effect yeah. if you're interested. But there is also something we've kind of like hit on already. But this throughout Tenet, there is this presence of like constant motion mm-hmm. of various objects and things in the background, whether it's like I know. wind turbines or like yeah. ocean waves or walls closing, doors yeah. closing. And then it's like... At, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, like just the story it's constantly pushing both like forward and backwards sometimes Uh at the same time. Yes. 
And that's a lot of just what's happening in the frame behind, you know, the the main characters and everything. Yeah. Um, Especially that in that last like, sequence, um, the, oh, you know, yeah, the big it's... fight, like, video game sequence, basically. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, like, bombs going off, and some of them are, like, going back into the ground, and some are exploding in real time. And we're, yeah, yeah it's, it's really hard to figure out. And there's a, a few moments in the film where there's just, like, something happens in reverse and you're like, what the fuck was that? And then it just keeps going. There's like no time to stop and figure it out. You yeah. just move on to the next moment. I love that little detail of when the protagonist, he gets burned. I think it's after the, in the car chase oh, sequence. The ice. And he gets hypochondria, like inversion because of his body fluids. He's like cooling down. Um, hypothermia, yeah. Hypothermia, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> uh, the film's title is a, is a palindrome too. You know, Tenet, it reads... Uh, the same backwards as it does forwards right do you want to talk about the uh give some love to the score here yeah which is definitely the first nolan film since the prestige not to be scored by the great hans zimmer Mm -hmm. the composer actually turned nolan down for the first time ever um Hmm. to score his longtime passion project dune which will be out next year he was replaced by newcomer uh ludwig Gorenson, who had recently won an Oscar for his work on Black Panther. He's mm-hmm. also known for his score on The Mandalorian, which, uh-huh. my God, what a season two, which I just watched. How's he doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's um, he's succeeding. The The score for Tenet, I would say, is like the most futuristic-sounding score for a Nolan movie. It's yeah. really heavy on the synthesizers. It uses some pretty like otherworldly sounds. Uh-huh. It's in kind of the same family of score as, as like Inception. Kind mm-hmm. of parts of it do just kind of sound like a inception yeah 2.0 yeah there's and some it, so don't, it had don't <laughs> yeah it, it has you know it's the bombing yeah, it has bombing. elements of a classic nolan score uh-huh. it's very propulsive yes it just sounds more futuristic than anything yeah. he's he's done before i have to say i love it I love this score. It never stops moving and, and you know, yeah. it has a rhythm to it and, yeah, different sounds. I work to this score. Like, I'll rock this as, like, something in the background while I'm, yeah, you know, banging totally. through emails and on Google Docs or, you know, yeah. you know it, it's... Uh, it feels a little bit, like, jazzy in that way. Like, it just, it gets your, like, if you're having to type a bunch of emails in the morning or something, I've, I've been listening to it the past few days and... <laughs> Yeah, It'll just it up. gives you that like buzz in your fingers and and just that energy and the whole film is sort of driven by the music as as we said with Dunkirk as well. Um, yeah, I, I love this score. I mean, Ludwig Göransson is on top of the score world right now. It seems and he's doing mm-hmm. great yeah. things and yeah. really exciting young composer and musician. Um, I also wanted to shout out a new editor for this film. Uh, in terms of the collaboration with Christopher Nolan, um, Jennifer Lame, um, who was the editor on Hereditary, Manchester by the Sea, Marriage Story, uh, among other films. Um, yeah, so uh, Lee Smith, who was the yeah was the editor on most of Nolan's uh, films, did not edit this, and you know it was an, a, an opportunity for a new sort of person's ideas and you know, creative process to collaborate with Nolan and, and the team. And that's what I said earlier about a few new team members in this project. Um, but Nolan is a huge advocate of having those people involved in the production process and even the pre-production process. Like 
Ludwig Gornson had created a lot of music before they started shooting mm. and it was used on set and it was used you know listened to by the actors and it informed their performances and you know informed elements of the production design by longtime production designer Nathan Crowley um you know the costume design there are pictures of Gorenson on set with you know Nolan and next to Jennifer Lame the editor and and Crowley's there the production designer it's like it's not it's a collaboration amongst all of the department heads and they really inform each other's work as I've said and I think that's such a huge element to why these films feel sort of like so cohesive and unified and strong I mean just getting like, the band back together yeah, yeah they just have like such a singular sort of feeling where it's like wow there's everybody's clicking on the same wavelength i do have to note tenant also features the first time a song original song was composed specifically for a nolan movie yeah. that is travis scott's the plan which plays over the closing credits it's a choice you know nolan has been a big fan of scott's work ever since his rodeo mixtape now <laughs> he is um you know it's cool that nolan you know, has kept, you know, an open mind and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know how much credit to give her since hip hop has been at the center of pop culture for a long time now, but it is, I give him credit for wanting to include, uh, you know, an original song from, yeah. you know, Gen, one of Gen Z's favorite all time artists. Yeah. Having said that, I like, you know, I, I respect Travis Scott and sure. you know, his artistry and, you know, his amazing live performer. This song sucks. It blows. I it doesn't even like sound it like either. he's trying. Yeah. Like sonically, it's okay, but Travis on the mic, you know, we don't need to turn this into a dissection of, of the song, but it yeah. just, it, it sounds like there wasn't a lot of effort put into it. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, that gets back to how this film, like, maybe is a little bit, you know, Nolan stepping outside of himself and looking at the culture more. Yeah. sort of from from a broad spectrum and scope well and, there was like the trailer he debuted like the trailer in like a Fortnite game you know right, we talked right. about that i think yeah in, appealing in, to in a younger audience yeah. yeah i mean the entire last 30 minutes are you know i i sort of look at as this like first person shooter experience you know it, it feels right very video much, game yeah feel, yeah yeah what is it yeah. called the uh where are they? Role um, play RPG. Stalsk 12. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a few just random nuggets I, I, I really liked about Tenet before getting into our, our awards. Mm-hmm. Love the uh, the emphasis on drink orders in this. There's oh, a lot sure. of espressos uh, and just drinking of beverages, and it, it just made me thirsty. Well, and um, then there's the Diet Coke talk versus the soda water and sure, the yeah. whole revelation of, of what, you know, patents in... I'll see you at the beginning, friend, or whatever. Yeah, mm. it's uh, yeah. Anyway, the the suits in this movie, yeah, yeah, uh, very costume very... designed by Jeffrey Kurland. Oh damn, man! You get yeah, your research on lock. <laughs> uh, the finest collection of suits ever assembled in a Nolan film. Again, that kind of gets to the the James Bond nature nature of Tenet. The oxygen mask tie-in, you know, coincidentally with COVID, like right. I think that's just notable. Very weird. Pure coincidence, but yeah. is just a little eerie and, and, and kind of like adds to just the 2020-ness of it. Yeah, it's um, hard not to notice. So for the number of visual effect shots, contained actually only 280, which you would think is a lot, but that's actually less than most like 
modern romantic comedies, and this is huh. also a, a low for, for Nolan himself. Yeah. 1.6 million feet of IMAX footage was shot for 65 the film. 65 millimeter. Woo! Yeah. Breaking Nolan's own record. Unfortunately, you know, when they do the re-release in 10 years in IMAX, which I'm sure they'll do a tenant because, like, that that, that is something I actually just thought of, that they'll, they'll definitely... Nolan, whatever studio he's with, I don't know. He'll make that happen. Well, there will be a re-release. Oh yeah, at some they'll point put this out in, in IMAX the theaters, theaters in LA for sure. Ten years from now, and they'll be like the summer that we never had with Tenant. You know, there'll be a yeah. push for that. Yeah, and of course, okay. it was Hoyte Van Hoytema's third film after uh, Interstellar and Dunkirk with Christopher Nolan again doing a lot of hoisting the 200-pound IMAX camera onto his shoulder and doing handheld shots. And Hoyte Van Hoytema was quoted as saying, this is by far the most complex thing I've ever shot. And and not just in terms of like the look and the visuals, but in terms of how we want to lead the audience through the story. Um, I found that, you know, fascinating. It's clearly like a, a huge accomplishment just to like keep track of what they're shooting. You know, it's kind of a script supervisors absolute nightmare yeah anyway there's there's a lot going on there's 120 ships they move they used for this movie um 60 plus of which are seen on screen um yeah it's just you know which is a sort of continuation of dunkirk's production but anyway last thing before the awards i i feel like we do need to bring up the this the rumors that this was a direct sequel to inception Mm. Um, mm. as the film got closer to release there were you know i was hyped for that yeah Rob, you you bought in. you bought in uh i was you 100 percent were convinced like leo was just showing oh, yeah. up yeah i was sending you thing. links like, left and right yeah, yeah, you're, yeah you're like yeah, you were like, look at the imdb like or something like that but um there were rumors whispers about tenant being a sequel to 2010's inception right the actors were pretty coy about it uh-huh in the press leading up to it, John David Washington called it an in-law to Inception. Sure. Now, while there are a lot of similarities between the two films, the time travel, the globetrotting nature, etc., this this turned out to be false. It is not a a direct sequel to Inception. Yeah. Um, Rob, you know, I'm not going to blame you for falling for it. You did. You did. Fall. I remember you tell me. <laughs> I fell for like, it. Look at the IMTV, like, <laughs> Leo is is uncredited, like, and I was like, what? You yeah. know, I, you know we, look, I had a lot of time on my hands over the summer, I would, right. at least the, the, the first half of man, summer. The research was, uh... Yeah. Well, and, and also, like, it would have been a very Nolan-y thing to do, and having, like, a, you know, I, I could, I could... I've seen it like that happening, right? Yeah. You know, at the end of the second act, like Cobb and Mao jumping right. in or like, right. let's team up, you know what? I was all in. So let's, let's end this tenant talk with our, our final CNC awards for sure. this series. Best moment. Rob, what are you going with, with best moment of tenant? Okay. So I'm tempted to say the cold open heist sequence, which we talked about. Um, I'm also tempted to say everything that happens, you know, on the Amalfi coast, which is another element of this film. I wanted to mention just the globe, the globe trotting nature of it's uh, filmed in seven Mm -hmm. countries. Um, Something that uh, Nathan Crowley and Christopher Nolan do is very early on in the process. They, they call it, they go wandering early pre-production location and production design scouting trips uh they do a lot of just walking around towns and they they search for the locations and 
uh, Nolan says they really find the film during this process and they, it informs a lot of the final drafts of the script. Um, so I wanted to mention the Amalfi coast and just sort of how, how fun this film was to feel like you could travel the world a little bit. Um, yeah. Living vicariously. Through, exactly. Uh, their ventures. Totally. And the Amalfi coast, I mean, good Lord, has it ever looked any better on film? Like that's another thing about the 65 millimeter large format film. It just looks mm. fucking awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. and it, nothing compares to it. It's the, it's just the best way to see something shot. It's really yeah. incredible. And, uh, you know, the production value is not the same as a $20 million made for television film. So let's, you know, there's another element of the high budget, you know, process. Like it, it just gives you a, this look, this film just looks incredible. And so it, it's worth talking about a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the scene when the protagonist and Neil steal a piece of the algorithm from the moving panel truck, uh, you know, by mm-hmm. pinning it in between the five big vehicles on the freeway in Estonia. And, yep. you know, he gets on the fire truck ladder, the protagonist, um, and steals the algorithm chunk or whatever the fuck that is. Um, yeah, <laughs> I just algorithm. Chunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just love that sequence. It's so fun. It's like when we first see, forward motion and backward motion appearing in the same shot with the car driving down the highway in reverse and it's when it all starts to kind of click in and and hum and yeah that's Mm -hmm. that's a my my favorite moment i can't understand this you said you spoke estonian it's not estonian it's backwards the hell is that Yeah, for me, it, it's it's got to be the the Freeport sequence. Yeah. Like I, I got chills in the theater, you know, watching it. I was just like, "We're back, baby!" <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah. know, like it was, it was like just the build up, the staging, the uh-huh. tension, the execution, just all first class, first rate. Nolan, that is my best moment in Tenet. Love it. Best performance. Hmm. I want to. You know, can all, you go first because I want to hear what you say. Yeah, I mean, all the leading performances are are really good. You yeah. know, Washington, Pattinson, Debicki. I might go with Kenneth Branagh though because Oof. it's it's a cliche character. Sure, he, he's very much channeling like his inner Bond villain, but yeah. the performance it's it's very effective. It's properly menacing. It's, it's intense. Scary. It's it's sadistic. Yeah, don't negotiate with a tiger. You admire a tiger until he turns on you, and you feel it's true fucking nature. You know, even in the goal he's pursuing. You know, we didn't really get into this part of the plot where sure. it's like four righteous reasons where he's like trying to prevent like a climate change catastrophe as he's like dying from pancreatic cancer, right? And all this shit. But <laughs> is that what's happening? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I, what? Um, <laughs> but actually, like that, I don't know. That that's one that I'm 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 just gonna go with. And again, everyone, yeah. is, there's not a bad performance in this in this movie, but yeah. I'm going with uh with Mr. Brenner here, Sator, the billionaire Russian oligarch. Such a, yeah. yeah, I mean, his performance bomb, is alarming. Yeah. Also, you know, comparing it to the Dunkirk performance and then seeing him in this role, it's almost like hard to believe it's the same person. Um, so mm-hmm. for that reason, yeah, it's an amazing performance. Again, I agree with you. I'm tempted to say Debicki as Cat. I thought her performance was really, really strong, but I'm going to go with sort of the the easy answer here and say John David Washington as the protagonist. Yeah. Um, 
I just think everything hinges on the physicality and charm and humanity that he brings to this performance. Um, so much work done in the stunts, you know, to, you know, move forward and backwards simultaneously and all the weird stuff that they had to, you know, practically do with the stunt coordinator and, and trainers. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a performance beyond that as well. Just the, you know, he, he does bring this humanity to it, as I said, and, and charm and, you know, just grounds the film in sort of this believable, like, we're just following this guy around and he has this, you know, the baby faced protagonist as, um, Priya calls him. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I think, I think it's David Washington for me as the best performance. Yeah. I'm excited to see where his career goes from this. Yeah. I was going to say he's, yeah, very young. Um, he's going to have kind of any opportunity he, he wants, you know, he's proven a, a certain kind of range, mm-hmm. and I, I would love to see him do more action blockbusters. Because yeah, I think yeah. there's just a lot that he can bring uniquely to the table. So I heard that's a bunch a great of pick. I heard a bunch of people on the bonus features calling him JD. I guess maybe mm-hmm. he he goes by JD to amongst friends. Yeah, John, Don, yeah you know, he doesn't want to go in his father's uh right the you know his dad is denzel washington i think we should i guess we haven't noticed which is might be obvious but um yeah really really um looking forward to see how his his acting career unfolds over the next several decades me too all right best soundbite yeah i'm going with a part of the the just the badass score here Mm. and it's during the freeport scene which is you know my favorite best moment it's like this brain tickling synthesizer that Ooh. like dances on your brain it's like <laughs> we'll, we'll put in a clip here it's just the sound that i first associate tenant with it, it's a sound that like bends and stretches it's elastic kind of like, like the, the movie's yeah. plot right no i mean and i think that's that's intentional yeah so that is my my best sound bite nice i would go with the dialogue but i couldn't understand any of it so no um <laughs> but that, i love having my brain tickled by swedish composers right, right what's your what's your uh so i'm tempted i i keep saying i'm tempted my my notable <laughs> omission is don't try to understand it, feel it. The quote by Barbara, who's maybe the mm. scientist who's Priya, who Priya is referring to at the end. The, oh, yeah. We haven't really, yeah, we didn't really talk about that character. Yeah, though. we don't really want to dive into the plot because I don't want to sound more dumb <laughs> than I already right. do. Um, so, yeah, I'm also going with a bit of score here by uh, Ludwig Gorensen, and it's um, the track called 747, number seven appropriately on the original motion picture soundtrack. Yeah, this sequence of, or this, you know, bit of score was written before the sequence was shot, and... I think, you know, Nolan talked about how he and and the editor talked about, you know, how this was going to be covered and what the sequence should look like. 
Um, I, he does such an incredible job, as I said earlier, of weaving the score into the fabric of the production. Rather, He called it, rather than a finishing varnish you add to the film at the end, it should be something that works its way into the production. And I think that's you know brilliantly put on put on display here um it does have those classic nolan like brahms as you call them or the dong like dong big big booming sounds and just like it it sounds like a 200 million dollars budget cinema you know it just has that (laughs) scale and grandeur to it in this moment of score and Mm. and i love another part of that sequence is just the low angle shots like the way that they show that plane looking so massive with like slightly longer yeah like longer lensing than they really needed Mm -hmm. for that shot but it it like compresses the space and makes the thing look like a freaking jurassic park t-rex you know Mm -hmm. um it's just yeah really awesome camera you know camera placement choice there and uh really effective wtf i mean you know every time we do this award with any nolan film there's always a lot to choose from yeah i mean my single biggest WTF moment in this movie, like the turnstile sequence mm-hmm. when it's like that interrogation with Debicki's character, yeah. Rena's character. It's like happening through the glass. It's it's mesmerizing to watch, but like it's just confusing to a thousand. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I was just like I had no idea what was yeah, going Brana's on. Yeah, Brana's voice that. going backwards and then being interpreted <laughs> in in forward yeah. on the loudspeaker. Yeah. The turnstile, yeah, that 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 is that is it for me. What yeah. about you? Debicki being shot with an inverted bullet, that must be tough. Right. Straightforward. Yeah. I'm gonna go with when we see the um you know the the heist, the Freeport heist for the second time, when we see um, you know, the protagonist fighting himself and we, you know, realize now that what we saw earlier and um, there's just some moments in that sequence when it all is kind of clicking into place and you kind of are grasping now the timeline and what's happening. And, but it's still, even though I'm saying I'm grasping it during that moment, it's still just like, so makes you say what the fuck is going on and what am I watching and how does this tie into the story arc and when are we? And I guess we know where we are, but who is, who is who? And, yeah, that's one of the moments where there's like all of a sudden something happens in reverse and then they're back in forward motion. It's not explained. You know, someone like jumps off of a ledge in reverse or I don't know. Yeah. It's just wild. And yeah, most lasting image. I'm going very, very specific here. It's yeah. my favorite visual moment of the film. And it's it's part of it's of a piece of in my best soundbite and and best moment. It's part of the Freeport experience, but I love the bricks of gold that like spill out onto the tarmac. Oh yeah. Just like hundreds of them. And I don't know something about that. I I don't know exactly why, but it's this very specific moment during my favorite sequence. And when that happened, I just wanted to be like cinema. Like, you know, it was (laughs) just like, I, I, I just love that visual cue and, and, and just, yeah, these like, bright shiny bricks of gold falling off this 747 yeah. all over the tarmac as the plane gets closer to the hangar i don't know i just <laughs> I, I just love that that visual moment and so that's what i'm going with for me that's what i first think of when yeah i think of tenant that's awesome uh 
So I'm going to go with uh, something you just talked about in your what the fuck moment, but it's the red and blue turnstile scene. Mm. Um, You know, the blue is the past side and the red is the present side. To me, that red and blue lighting and just the the glass separating the past and the present. um, And yeah, the images there. And and when the team decides, you know, led by... um, Oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Ives character. When they when they decide to like go into the past, and he's like, "Oh, you you have to make sure you see yourself coming out the other side before you go in." And he's like, "What?" And then you see it, and it, it it's just some mind bending shit going on there, no doubt. And um, yeah, I I feel like that red and blue lighting and just that that sort of corridor and the turnstile is the image that is stuck in my head from this movie. That's gonna do it for Tenet. Yeah. That was a blast. And let's close out the Chris Nolan Chronicles. Wow. By just kind of considering what just the ultimate legacy of this filmmaker is this this director we spent, you know, the last 10 hours in this series <laughs> analyzing, discussing, like how will Nolan be remembered 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now? There mm. are so many ways to think about this. I mean, I think the first thing that I think of is legitimizing you know the comic book superhero movie genre that we, sure. we talked about a lot during the dark knight in our part three episode but this is a big one because the 21st century early 21st century could just very well be defined by superhero films right more than yes. any other thing you know sure yeah if you're you're <laughs> um how you feel about that may vary, but that is kind of like a fact and just kind of the dark tone that Nolan took with the dark Knight trilogy, Mm -hmm. the real world stakes, making it feel like this crime saga that just happens to take place in a world that superheroes exist in Mm -hmm. adding this layer of, you know, prestige that just did not exist until Nolan tackled the dark Knight trilogy. And Mm -hmm. what he did with that, that those films is it gave, critics and award shows and you know the oscars permission to recognize the genre in a serious legitimate way that has you know paved the way ever since and you know it's because of what nolan did with those films Mm -hmm. it proved that it can be done so i think that's that's a really that's a really big one Um, yeah definitely regardless of how you feel about the genre itself i mean you really did and i like some comic book movies i'm i'm harsh and i joke a lot about it i i just it's unfortunate that it is sort of the genre of our generation but Mm. it is what it is and yeah you know i see most of them in the theater like the rest of us (laughs) right right you know nolan's career it it also interesting like just really correlates with the rise of just internet culture. Mm-hmm. So everything from the proliferation of just fan theories, this new level of obsession, these new outlets to express that ex- obsession, social media, the Reddit message boards, etc. Just like yeah. memes and gifs and internet speak and yeah. language. Like his rise just really perfectly maps to um, the you know the increase or yeah. this the. In, culture of the internet becoming yeah. such a dominant part of our lives and, and like I think, hidden messages on the blu-rays and you know yeah the easter eggs yeah. and just things that really lend itself to just obsession culture. in the digital yeah. age right? right and you know the way nolan tells his stories and the way his plots unfold just are very compatible with that internet discourse mm-hmm. like they are simpatico with one another 
And I thought, you know, film critic Adam Naiman made Mm -hmm. a really interesting point on one of our favorite movie podcasts, The Big Picture, back in September. Mm -hmm. You know, he was asked about Nolan's legacy and how he thinks he'll be remembered. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, like, you know, as soon as Nolan films are released, they're immediately obsessed over and video essayed and think Mm -hmm. piece to death, like Mm -hmm. over and over again, immediately. And he was wondering, you know, like, will there be that much left to parse? Yeah in the next 25 to 50 years or like has it already already happened right right? like what else can we go back into that well to talk about with nolan films what are some fresh angles um well you compared it to stanley kubrick's legacy where it's Mm -hmm. you know kubrick's films were you know for the most part slightly misunderstood in their time or a lot of them were and you know maybe brushed aside as less important but then you know upon sort of reflection and and yeah, rewatching time has really and, helped yeah time has helped and kubrick they've become so picked apart now and and you know yeah and deeply and... considered as some of the greatest films ever made and mm-hmm. yeah it's like nolan's films are the opposite of that they're overly understood and even though they're very hard to you know parse and understand at times they have been broken down so sort of uh painstakingly and diligently by many people and obviously the internet ties into that and youtube but um yeah i mean i think it's interesting Uh, like in 50 years someone discovering a nolan film probably knows something about the film or knows a lot about it before they watch it, yeah. you know, like which is like how we know about everything already. Yeah, like, in a way, it's like all the information is out Imagine there. Imagine somebody born in like 2040, what and watching Inception for the first time when they're 15 years old. Let's say it's like mm-hmm. what will be the preconceived notions of Nolan uh, mm-hmm. and and you know particular films. Sure, the past two films, especially Dunkirk and and Tenet, have been a sort of shift in Nolan's career for me, like a, it was the first time he really took on like a war genre, like self-contained story in Dunkirk. And then this film yeah, based off of, yeah, event. yeah, this film to me felt less self-serious, less, you know, self-important and had a little more fun and was a little more mm-hmm. like knowing and, you know, maybe he's loosening up a little bit as a director and artist and, and, you know, is going to tie, his films to a new generation and and he's maybe making films for a different audience going forward yeah i mean tenet is definitely i know we didn't get deep into the weeds of the plot i mean that is a movie that it has already been picked apart across on you know social media and the message boards etc and like you can you can definitely experience tenet through that that version of of the movie and have a lot of fun with it i think in our discussion about it, we think there's just a lot more of the other aspects of it that really resonated to us that yeah. we really wanted to talk about. Um, and what, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but what do you want to see from Nolan next? I, I know we talked about this on a yeah. previous episode, but like, I'm curious now having reflected upon his whole career and tenant, right. what do you want? Yeah. I mean, what are the, yeah, you know, he's tackled a lot of different genres over the years. Yeah. Um, you know, I could see like a Western in his future, you know, sure. as something like a throwback and like visually like what he could do there. I mean, I would love to see him tackle something, you know, in horror. Me too. I, I don't know. That would require, you know, an R rating. I don't know if any studio is going to go with that given mm. just the mass audience that he targets. Um, but could could be something 
there. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, what's so crazy about about him is he's only 50 years old and he, hmm. he he's very efficient with making films. He basically right. makes a movie once every three or four years. Yeah. He's on pace to make like another 10 movies in yeah. his career, yeah. which is like staggering to think about. I, I mean, there's so much Nolan out there already. Clint Eastwood is 90 and he's still cranking <laughs> them out. You know, like, I, can you imagine like thinking like there's, we could have 10 more Chris Nolan films. I mean, it, it's a very real possibility. The total operation is a temporal pizza. Boom! Yours! You're already halfway there. I'll see you at the beginning, friend. So, just thinking about Nolan's legacy some more, I mean, I think this is minor in the grand scheme of it, but, you know, he really took, like, viral movie marketing into that digital age. Mm -hmm. We talked about this a lot in, in part four. Like, I wonder how long the Bram style of trailers will last. Like, it hasn't really slowed down since making its debut 10 years ago mm-hmm. in the Inception trailer. I wonder how much we'll associate Nolan with that style of movie trailer when we look back on his career many years from now and be like, oh, yeah, remember, you know, that era of movie trailers in the, in the you know, the aughts and tens where everything was, was the Brahm and set up with, like, the Inception trailer? I, I could definitely see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one thing we never really hit on in this series, too, is how Nolan, and this has changed with all the news of, like, HBO Max is becoming, you know, more of a, it, it, this is change you what I'm about to say, but he's this household name despite not having, like, a force of personality, mm-hmm. like, compared to, like, a Tarantino mm-hmm. or a Scorsese. Um, you know, Nolan is just this, like, soft-spoken, yeah. conventionally handsome, like, polite British man who... Sure makes you know these these spectacle films that we've obsessed over and yeah. it just it goes to show how much his movies do the talking for like, i don't think his yeah. personality won't be remembered his movies will be mm-hmm. having said that how he's kind of like battling streaming and all this like yeah. that is coming from him a per- as a person rather yeah. than you know his movies so well, that could that could change yeah and and over the past month he's probably been more outspoken than he's ever been in his whole career um, except yeah. in like small circles trying to save Kodak film or whatever. But I've watched a ton of interviews with, you know, featuring Nolan and, and you know, his co-workers and colleagues and Emma Thomas. And he's he's a really thoughtful dude. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think he's his legacy, I think, will go down as sort of this as we've said, strong advocate of the theatrical experience and, you know, wanting to make these massive dreams become a reality on the screen um, and just pushing the art form to its brink and breaking point, you know, and and Mm -hmm. trying things practically that have never been shot, you know, in camera before and just pushing the limits of what we can consider a motion picture. And I think... um, you know, I really appreciate him for that. And obviously, you know, it's kind of silly to say, but um, yeah, I've become a bigger fan of his work as we've done this just because yeah, of uh, how sort of groundbreaking and, and pushing the envelope uh, his work is. Yeah. And thinking about his films in a deeper way than, you know, I think. Yeah. Than I surface ever level. Have, despite yeah. being a big fan of his, but you know, yeah, this entire like research process and everything yeah. we've been doing on this series has, has definitely um, shined a new light, light on him. Uh-huh. I think, um, you know, to your point at that point too, like Nolan, he'll be remembered as a director who went against the grain of, of a lot of major trends in Hollywood, yeah. you know, 
doubling down on practical effects over CGI, right. even as technology rapidly increased and made it easier than ever to suit CGI. Like, mm. Nolan was like, no, 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 I- I'm not, you know. Yeah. I think that's an important part of his legacy also is that people are going to look back in 30, 50 years and watch the films and be like, you know, that classic thing you say about, you know, Star Wars or Blade Runner with a lot of practical effects. It's like, wow, this really holds up. You know, that term holds up. Sure. It, when it's yeah, shot, yeah. it doesn't feel dated. Yeah. Yep, that's a great point. When it's in Because camera, he didn't rely on the CGI, that's a big part of, I think, why his films won't feel look and feel dated visually and they took a lot of old school you know practical effect work to a new level and a lot of the stuff we see is has been done before but maybe not on this scale and yeah yeah so i think that's an important thing to remember is that his films will hold up and we're not going to see the flaws of the cgi as much as you know a lot of films from this era yeah and yeah they will continue to sort of grow in people's minds probably yeah i mean in in always opting to shoot film over digital being one of the only blockbuster directors to do that in the past Mm -hmm. 20 years. You know, I I saw this quote in 2017, Nolan said on the costs of shooting on film versus digital. He goes, as far as the cost, it's a complete fallacy. I'm making my films cheaper than anybody working on the same scale on digital. There are no efficiencies to be gained there and there's no money to be saved. Mm -hmm. I gave a speech some years ago when I asked was when I was asked to defend film and I said, I felt like a stones mason defending marble. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. This is why we're all here. It's what we do. This is film. Every digital format so far devised is just an imitation of film. So again, strong opinions, but I, you know, I, I I happen to agree. Um, I think also just, you know, Nolan has definitely gone the IP route in the dark Knight trilogy, but again, making original films Mm -hmm. on the kind of scale, like his own name has become its own IP in a way. Yeah. And I think as time goes on this century, Nolan will just stand out more and more as an anomaly, you know, someone who in this century made big budget, like super indulgent action Mm -hmm. blockbusters for mass audiences, Mm -hmm. but packaged, you know, are, packed in challenging dense storylines that yeah. requires the audience to really really think to understand them even though you can still enjoy them without thinking that deeply about them mm-hmm. as we kind of just discussed in tenet mm-hmm. you know in doing this all with like a james cameron level of, yeah. of craftsmanship like that is just a really unique combination of things that you know we haven't really seen i mean you yeah. know spielberg you know who obviously right. is still making films is one of the greatest ever uh you know is is someone that comes to mind well and, and, you know, and cameron who's who we mentioned but yeah and just his understanding and and uh you know paying homage and respect to cinema history um his knowledge of you know a lot of his films reference uh, a lot of you know deep cuts i would say and mm-hmm. you know they can be explored on that level and he really pays homage and respects the art form and and classic cinema and you know wants to involve a new audience and and bring people into his world a little bit and mm-hmm. you know let them discover things uh because of his films and and, and all of this sort of video essay uh you know work that's being done uh picking apart his his film so yeah i mean just paying respect to the past and and the art form um i think is also a huge part of his legacy okay that is going to do it for part six of the chris nolan chronicles and the entirety of 
this six-part series. Yes. Shout out to everyone from Emma Thomas to Nolan's <laughs> brother, Jonathan, to Hans Zimmer. Who had no involvement with this series. <laughs> right. To, to Wally Pfister, to Sir yeah. Michael Caine, Michael Caine, Michael Caine. Yes. Um, all the cinematographers, the composers, the writers, performers, the editors, the key collaborators that we've all discussed. And of course, shout out to the man, Christopher Nolan himself, for giving us such a fun fascinating cinematic world to play in and make this yeah. podcast series about yeah what a fucking career not that he's done you know he yeah. could just you know, be at the midway point but man what a what a uh what a career to look back on and discuss yeah. um it's been so fun and ben i wouldn't want to do it with anyone else it's been an awesome experience yes um, i've learned a lot about podcasting and <laughs> podcasting the, in general yeah. the time commitment that it can be um but yeah it's been it's been great and yeah i'm excited next year to talk about other content out there that we we have been consuming and neglected and the last six yeah. months on this pod yeah no definitely rob I, shout out to you for being on this journey with me it's been yeah a lot of work um fun as hell though i'm glad we we did this kind of as a spinoff as must go faster this Mm -hmm. this dedicated six-part series on one filmmaker's career and really diving deep um and you know this podcast to labor of love for us we just do it you know on the side and you know no one else i'd rather do it with and thank you to the listener anyone for tuning in to any part of this series even yeah. if it was just for a few minutes or a few episodes or if you listen to the whole thing yeah thank you so much for your support we hope you enjoyed this series as much as we did making it we are going to take a, a little break from doing must go faster podcast but we will be back sometime in 2021 with new episodes yes. until then take care of yourself peace out happy new year everyone thanks so much as always for listening we really appreciate it hope you enjoyed this series And in the words of John David Washington as the protagonist in Tenet, I told you you'd have to start looking differently at the world.